It sure is good to see everyone here tonight. Thank you for coming out again. Uh, what a blessing it is to, to meet on Sunday evenings. Um, I hope none of us get into a, a complacency mode where we're just checking a box. We feel like we have to be here. It's great to be with you. I thoroughly look forward to uh, every time we get to come together and to be with one another. I know it strengthens me, and I hope it strengthens you. Joseph and I have been talking for a little while about these things called bedsheet sermons. I told him not that long ago, I'd never seen one. Um, since then, I've become fascinated with them. And tonight, I wanted to, uh, they weren't able to be with us the last time we talked about one, and, and so I wanted to do one. Um, this sermon is, um, was put together by Steve Hudgens who passed away back in 2011. He was a gospel preacher for about 65 years. He was known for chart sermons, putting together over 300. Now that sounds pretty impressive till we stop and think about another number that's quite astounding. He helped preachers around the world at a time before there were overhead projectors and before there were computers, uh, where he oversaw uh, the development and creation of 5,000 chart sermons that were sent around the world. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed reading a lot of them, studying them on my own time, and I felt like this one, Mistakes Millions Make, is such a vital and important outline that I'm sure was very important during his time and is no less important with the issues and the challenges we face today. Um, a lot of the issues we've looked at the home, we just wrapped up that series, can be grounded and found why the mistakes that millions have made, are making, and will make. So hopefully this will be beneficial to everyone here. In our scripture reading that Joseph just read for us, is the conclusion of the Sadducees coming before Jesus. See, the Sadducees broader context. And that challenge was a woman who ended up getting married seven times to brothers but never bore a child. Their question, trying to trip Jesus up, was whose husband will she have in heaven? Thinking they got Jesus, Jesus responds and we will not reread this text, but we're going to look at a couple things that help us launch into our study tonight. The first is, Jesus says in verse 29, you are mistaken. The Greek word here is planeo, which means to lead away from the truth, to lead into error. Jesus is saying you have been led into error or away from the truth. But how? How had the Sadducees been mistaken or led into this error? Or why do we have these mistakes that millions have made, are making, or will make? Jesus tells them it is because they did not know the Scriptures nor the power of God. The Greek word for knowing here, when he references not knowing the scriptures is idu, which means equivalent to it is well known. 
acknowledged. Okay, so Jesus is saying that you do not understand something that you should have understood. We see this clarified later on in Matthew chapter, or in this same passage further down in Matthew 22, chapter 22, in verse 32, which is a quote of Exodus chapter 3 and verse 6. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, it states, Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. See, the Sadducees should have known that God is the God of the living, not the dead. Furthermore, we see that they should have known the power of God. This Greek word literally means universal, the power of God. And it brings to mind to us what we read in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. In Romans 1 verse 20 it says, For the invisible things to him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his internal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. See, the Sadducees messed up in two areas where they had become mistaken of their view of the resurrection. The first is they should have known the scriptures, the scriptures that were clearly there, but they didn't. The second is they denied the power of God. And while mistakes can often be costly in our lives and our walk in our lives, the walk with God where we come to the spiritual are far more costly if we are mistaken. They have eternal consequences. This is an image of the bedsheet sermon that Brother Steve did. I modify this and, and will follow from this point forward the sheet that you have um, with you with the scriptures and places for you to be able to mark those down as we go through it. Soon. And we're going to start first with the main topic. They presume, they suppose, they guess. They can't understand the Bible is the first thing we often hear with people. It's too difficult. It's too challenging. If you give them the King James, we don't talk like that anymore. We can't understand what the Bible says. The only one that can understand the Bibles are those that have gone to seminary to schools. They've been classically trained by some person or another. Is that what the scriptures teach? Let's look at John chapter 7 and verse 16 and 19. In John 7, 16 and 19, Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but, he, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, that is God. He shall know concerning the doctrine whether it is from God or whether I speak of my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keep the law? Why do you seek to kill me? Jesus didn't teach God teachings were confusing or impossible to grasp. He says, 
he shall know concerning the doctrine. No one else had to be involved in that process. Furthermore, we read in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 17, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We are told to not be unwise. So how would we accomplish that? We are told in Ephesians to understand what the will of the Lord is. Is God saying in the New Testament what he wanted us to know? That we need to go to someone else to receive that feedback? No. God is clearly telling us all we need is the word of God. And to in time and dedication, and commitment to it. And we can know what God would want of us. Next on that list, under they presume, suppose, or guess, is that ignorance will excuse their actions. I didn't know better. Is God going to accept that on Judgment Day? Let's look at a couple quick passages. Luke chapter 12, verse 47 through 48. Luke chapter 12, verse 47 through 48. And that servant, which knew his Lord's will, prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did not commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much of him, they will ask the more. Is God saying in Luke chapter 12 that the person that did not know what he should have known to be excused or freed from being receiving stripes? No. Did he receive the same number of stripes? No. But did he receive punishment? Absolutely. This is further seen in Leviticus chapter 4. Leviticus, I'm sorry, Leviticus chapter 4 leading to Leviticus chapter 5 gives uh, in the law a variety of things that would be considered under ignorance, but there was still a cost. There would still be a sacrifice. And in Leviticus chapter 5, verse 17, it says, And if a soul sin and commit any of these things which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord, though he wist it not, yet he is guilty and shall bear his iniquity. So for those who mistakenly presume or guess or suppose that busy, God's going to overlook this. I was really, really busy with my career, with my kids. How was I supposed to know? God will not take that as an excuse on Judgment Day. Ignorance does not give us a get-out-of-jail-free card. Next, that sincerity is sufficient. Let's look at Acts chapter 26, verses 9 through 11. Acts chapter 26, 9 and 11. Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This is Paul speaking. Verse 10. 
This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme and be exceedingly enraged against them. I persecute them even to the foreign cities. What is Paul stating here? This is him referring back to his life when he was Saul. And he says, Thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. We further read in Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 of Paul reflecting back. He says, Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. What is Paul saying? He did all of these horrendous actions against the Lord Jesus Christ and their followers with great zeal, with his thought of sincerity of what he was carrying out was right. Did that make it right? Did his feelings and emotions about his actions and activity, did that make it right when it came down to the actions he committed? It did not, and it will not. For us. The next thing that we can, we've often heard, are for those that presume, suppose, or guess that the majority is right. If everybody else is doing it, then obviously they know right and I know wrong. Is that what the Bible teaches? Let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. Matthew 7, 13 through 14, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many, that is the majority, who go by, in by it. But notice what it says in verse 14. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. In this passage, is it the majority that have taken the easy way to destruction that are right? No, clearly not. But notice the path for the few. The gate is narrow. The difficult is the way that leads to life. There is no smoke and mirror. God has clearly identified the path and the way that we must walk. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20, who were formerly disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, if it were just to stop there, a few could be interpreted a lot of different ways. When we study the book of Genesis, very conservative calculations, we're talking billions of people at this time. So, Billions of people, and a few are saved. And we're told in 1 Peter 3, we're told in Genesis that it was eight souls who were saved through water. Is that the majority? When God looked down and made the declaration that He was going to destroy earth and all that were on it, 
He said that the, every thought of man was evil. But there were eight. There were eight that were different. There were eight that chose to follow the commandments of God. And they were saved. Furthermore, we see that people will often presume, suppose or guess, that God is not so exacting. God doesn't care if you get it all right. Just focus on the big ones. Love, grace and mercy. The other things God will look past. Just be a good person. Do good deeds. Don't worry about all that study in the Bible. It's onerous and takes a lot of time. Have fun, but remember where God wants you to go. Is that what the Bible teaches? Let's look at Numbers chapter 20, verse 12. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. We're not here yet in Exodus. We're getting close. We've already seen in just a few short chapters of the exodus out of Egypt that Moses was going to have his hands full. Israel was not going to be uh, easy to, to, to lead and to guide on this path. And it doesn't get any better. We know that Moses was frustrated at the people. But in all of that, he remained extraordinarily meek extraordinarily humble. We've seen him rent his clothes and go before the Lord on behalf of the people when they had done evil. Jesus was told to speak to a rock to bring forth water. This was the second time this interaction had occurred. The first time he was told to strike the rock. But in his frustration with the people, he chose to hit the rock and disobey God. That kept Moses out of the promised land and teaches us a very valuable and important lesson. God cares if we are obedient to his word. He has commanded us to be righteous and to walk in the light because there is no darkness in him. In Romans chapter 11, verse 22, Therefore consider the goodness and only the goodness of God. That's not what it says. In verse 22, it says, therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God on those who fail severity, but toward you, goodness. Notice this, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you will be cut off. Romans 11 sends out a stark warning not only to those that never come into obedience of God and accepting Him and following His truth, but for those that did. And then they chose another path. They chose to ignore the goodness. They did not continue in it. And God has a warning for them. They too will be cut off. So to start us off here on the idea that Mistakes are being made by millions in the past, currently today and in the future. We have the idea that they presume. And we've seen the dangers of saying that you can't understand the Bible. Everybody is right and God is not used 
sincerity is sufficient, that the majority is right and God is not so exacting. We cannot make those mistakes. Next, let's look at the idea that they misplace their trust. The first place we want to go is that they put their trust in themselves or their conscience. In Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, we clearly see that it is not within us to decide the path we are to take. O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. It is not up to us to determine the path that we are to follow. That has been taken care of. We have the Bible. God is our creator and we need to remember that. Next, in Acts chapter 23, verse 1, Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Well, in this same context, Paul attacks the high priest and apologizes, realizing, I'm not supposed to do that. <laughs> I, I, I messed up. And clearly he said, I did not know. Furthermore, we just read just a few moments ago where Paul took action that was against God's word, but he had a good conscience. Did Paul, Saul have a good conscience in Acts chapter 7 as he gave the permission and oversaw the stoning of Stephen? Yes. But he was wrong before God on that. Next, people misplaced their trust and instead of putting it in God, they put it in men or clergy. In Galatians chapter 1 verses 6 through 9 we read, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want you to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Is Paul warning them about everybody else but himself? No, he includes him in this. Don't look to me. It isn't about me. We know Paul says that he wasn't necessarily attractive with the Corinthians or of a good ability to speak. But he said the focus isn't on me. The focus is on God. And we should never raise a man up and quote that man. It's good for us to get ideas, but if we're not going back to the Word of God and we're not quoting this in what we say and what we believe, then we are making the fallacy that we are reading about here in Galatians 1.6 because Paul an apostle of God is saying, don't look at me. It doesn't matter if I or someone else comes in. If it goes against what has been preached to you from the gospel of Christ, then reject it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in cunning craftiness and of deceiving, 
sorry, deceitful plotting. Men will use cunningness. They will use deceitfulness to distract us from the gospel. That is not where we get, um, that is not where we get the truth. Next, which is the next step of this, but slightly different angles. We're not to put our trust in the doctrines of men. There are many religions around the world that have been created by men, that have, been, that have sought to gain fame and notoriety. It's not about the man. It's about God, and we do not need to follow that. Let's look at two quick examples, Matthew chapter 15, 8 through 9. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. In this case, we're not looking at these earthly religions that look to distract us to an idol or some other deity. We can think of uh, Islam. Don't look at Jesus. We can look at Buddhist. They don't look at Jesus. But this is being very specific to, they're looking to me, Jesus. The focus is Jesus. But they're not teaching what Jesus taught. Be wary. Be watchful. Be vigilant. Romans chapter 6, 17 and 18. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. Here we see that there were reasons. It uses the terminology to... Um, to, to fulfill their own belly, um, to gain notoriety, to gain wealth, to gain money. That is not those we need to follow, and we need to be watchful. We do not need to follow the doctrines of men, even if they are professing Jesus as Lord. We need to carefully, meticulously examine all things that are being said to see if they are right with God. The Bereans challenged the apostles. How did they do that? They went to the Old Testament to determine if what they were saying was right. Could the apostles do miracles? Yes. Did they do miracles? Yes. They still checked out what they were saying. They still wanted to make sure that what they were saying was from God and not from man. Next, and this is our last point on this heading, they misplaced their trust. That one does not trust in the Lord when he fails to do what Jesus commands. Luke chapter 6 verse 46, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Furthermore, we read in Matthew chapter 7 verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Furthermore, we would read in these contexts that it wasn't just proclaiming that the Lord is Lord, but these people were doing good works, signs, in the Lord's name. And they will not be counted worthy of eternal glory with God in heaven because they didn't do the entire will of God. 
So in the second heading, mistakes that millions make, we see they misplace their trust. They put their trust in themselves and their own conscience. In men or clergy, in doctrines of men. And the fact that they do not want to do all the things that the Lord has commanded. Next, let's go to uh, point and bullet number three. The mistakes that millions make because they fail to realize. Let's look at what they fail to realize. First, they fail to realize the value of their souls. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, For what profit it is to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? In our Western society and culture, do we spend time thinking about where are my children with their walk with God? Am I creating the environment that has God as the number one focus, first with me, second with my spouse, thirdly in my home? Is that the true number one priority? Or do other things find their way conveniently in the way? Activities, promotions, and the list can go on. TV, entertainment even. Vacations. Am I considering putting the first things first? Am I leading by the life that I live? Or am I showing my kids that everything else is more important? Because this passage teaches us We've lost everything if we get our priorities mixed up, if we have them wrong. Eternity is much longer than the time we'll be here on this earth. We do not want to gain things in this physical realm at the expense of those that matter for eternity. Next, people fail to realize our individual's responsibility. In Romans chapter 6, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 2, verse 6, we read, Who will render to each one according to his deeds? We go on to Romans chapter 14 and verse 12. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. We need to understand that on judgment day, it doesn't matter what you believe because you heard some man speak something from a pulpit or that your parents told you something or that your spouse convinced you to look at something from a different angle. Now on judgment day, we're all going to stand before God and we're all going to give account. Not for what anybody else did or did not do, but for what we did or did not do. This ties very closely to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 through 14, which we referenced this morning in our class. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. We will give account for how we have lived our lives. And it will not matter what others say or did to convince us. It will matter if we cared enough to research it out ourselves. Other people fail to realize the purpose is to please God and not ourselves. 
We see this issue go back as we're studying in Genesis. Finally to the garden with the first sin. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1, we read, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. God has given us commandments. We know that if we love God, that we will keep His commandments. We are not here to please ourselves. If that is our guide, if that is our northern star, we will not make it to heaven. God has given us commandments, and if we do those commandments, we please Him. Furthermore, there are others that fail to realize the necessity of obedience. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 through 9, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his power. That is terrifying. But it wasn't just to those who didn't know God, who we talked about earlier. Ignorance isn't going to be excuse, an excuse. We can look around us and nature in Romans chapter 1 shows us that there is a God. But notice the second part in verse 8. On those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't say obey some of the gospel. It's obeying all of the gospel. And what is the reward for those? They will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. There's a gentleman who is conversing with us on Facebook and not completely sure of all the directions um, he's going, but he, um, he made a public post when I went back to his main thread and he noticed and, and specifically was critiquing uh, the churches of Christ, specifically large churches of Christ, in that they are no longer teaching obedience. It's grace, love, and mercy. But we're not going to get into the details. We're not going to, or we are going to get into details and manipulate them so that we can allow more things to happen. We talked about this morning with homosexuality. We can see with divorce, instrumental singing, drinking, and the list goes on. God is saying we must obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not a portion of it, not what we feel like doing, but all of it. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8 through 9, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. This is in reference to Jesus. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Jesus lived a perfect life because he was completely obedient to his father in heaven, and did all things right. Next, we read that people fail to realize and focus on their accountability. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Kind of goes along with the individuality that we just looked at a few moments ago. We also will be accountable. 
So there is no one else that we can go and say, hey, this person who you put in my life, they said do this, and I did that. that does, that's not an excuse. But here, we are individually accountable. We will be viewed in how we obeyed or did not obey, if we did good or if we did bad. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were, judged, dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. We will be judged by what we do and wise. And so in this third category of people failing to realize and therefore making mistakes, we see that they do not value their souls the way God has commanded man to. They do not take individual responsibility. They please self rather than God. They do not look that the whole Bible needs to, that the New Testament commandments need to be all obeyed. And they fail to understand that they will be held accountable. So lastly, as we conclude tonight, let's look at the final section, the category of neglection. How do we find ourselves here? Well, there's a lack of something. There's a neglect to do something. Let's first look at the um, idea of study. And this coincides, as we're seeing with what God was saying when he looked at uh, the Sadducees, Jesus, in our scripture reading back in Matthew chapter 22, 29. He said, you were mistaken. You made these mistakes for what? Not having the knowledge that you should have and not recognizing the power of God. Here we see that if we neglect to study, we will be making the same mistakes millions are making. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 1 Timothy 4 and 13. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. If we neglect to be in the word of God, we're not being diligent to present ourselves approved. We are not giving attention to reading as we're commanded in 1 Timothy 4.13. And we're not going to be able to do some things here that are coming up. We're not going to be able to ultimately recognize that we have been led astray. Furthermore, we see that the mistake that millions make is because they neglect to search. In John 5.39, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. We go on to read in 1 Thessalonians 5, chapter, chapter 5, verse 21. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Is this idea of study that was presented in our last point and search under this point that we just lazily just flip through the pages of God's Word? randomly picking things out and meditating on them on what they mean to me at this moment in this time without really focusing on the context? Or I'm going to read through the Bible in a certain period of time, but you know what? I'm not going to take any time thinking about what I read, what that means for me in my life or what I should be doing. 
See, we can go through actions of searching and studying, but those actions may not be to the level if we're not dedicating time, effort, and energy that we read about in John 5 and 1 Thessalonians 5 or in 2 Timothy 2 or 1 Timothy 4 and many other passages. It requires a lot of work to study and search the way God has instructed. Next we have, they neglect to guard against error. If you don't do the first two, you don't have much to go on on this one. You don't know what you're supposed to guard against. You don't have the armor of God. You don't know how to fight against the strategies and the wiles of the devil. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 through 20, Beware of false prophets who came to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by your, their fruits you will know them. We go on to read in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And 2 John verse 10 and 11, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. God is telling us there are going to be false prophets who come in sheep's clothing but are really ravenous wolves. He tells us not to believe every spirit. Don't believe just because someone comes out and says something where part of it is right, that all of it is right. Test them. Challenge them. And if we come across someone that is not bringing the Word of God in its entirety, we need to stand up and we need to guard against them. We don't need to make them our friends and see how close we can get to evil. We need to protect and to stand guard. Furthermore, they neglect to render obedience. We've talked about this idea multiple times tonight. Here's another passage that should strengthen our resolve to be in the Word and to follow all that God has said. Romans 6, 17 and 18. But God be thanked that through you were that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. We'll be slaves of something. We have a choice. We're either going to be slaves of sin or we will be slaves of righteousness. We need to render obedience and be slaves of righteousness. As we come to a conclusion, we need to realize that people will neglect to be faithful. To help us understand that, let's look at two more passages. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. And you will... Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will be in tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. We know that this particular group of Christians in Revelation, they were praised. They had nothing bad to say about them. 
they had reached the level of poverty for giving up the things of this world and following God already. But there was more coming. And God in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, 10, Jesus from heaven sending this letter to them is saying, remain faithful until death, even though it's going to get harder and the persecution is going to become greater. As far as I know, none of us here have ever been driven into poverty for our belief and following of God. But even if we were, we must follow the example we read in Revelations 2. In verse 10. And then lastly, 2 Timothy 4, verse 6 through 8. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This is Paul at the end of his life. And I would strongly encourage us to, to fight every day to have these words that we could say on our deathbed as we come to an end. That we have served the Lord, that we have faithfully obeyed, and that we have searched and studied and done those things that were the exact opposite of the mistakes that millions make. We do not want to presume, suppose, or guess when we're looking at eternity. We do not want to misplace our trust in things of this world and not the things that God has instructed. We do not want to fail to realize the value of our souls. The purpose of our life is to please God and honor Him, to be obedient and accountable. And finally, we do not want to neglect, to study, to search His Scriptures diligently, to guard against error, to render obedience, and to remain faithful in the death. Thank you so much for your attention. I find these lessons refreshing and encouraging. They're, as Mark often says, they're full of scriptures. And that's probably the best lessons we can have because we're keeping our minds and our attention on God's word so that we don't make the mistake millions make. We offer the invitation for those that have sinned and need to make those things right. And for those that have heard the word of God tonight, they've been pricked in their hearts. They believe and are ready to obey the gospel. If you have any need, please come forward as we stand and sing the invitation song.